0: It's time for Yusuf on Security. I'm your host Ibrahim Yusuf. Welcome aboard. We will look into the modern vulnerability management today in this episode. But before we do that, let's recap top trending security news. And this includes Google gives away 10,000 free security keys to high risk users. And the second topic problems with multi factor authentication. It's all coming up next on Yusuf on Security. This is Yusuf on Security, Episode Thirty Eight, recorded Saturday, twenty third of October, twenty twenty one. Modern vulnerability management. Google puts more emphasis on protecting high risk users, and by doing so, Google has given away ten thousand high risk users keys to protect their account. Now this is a free hardware security keys by Google with the aim of better protecting their accounts from hackers. And Google says it's sending out the free Titan, and that's the name of the hardware key, two-factor authentication. These keys will provide a phishing-resistant layer of protection for those accounts. Groups such as politicians, journalists and human rights activists who are considered to be particularly at risk from state-sponsored attack are the ones that Google is trying to protect here. Users who enable Google Advanced Phishing Protection, APP, and use hardware security keys will need to be both use their password and the physical key to log in into their account. Now, meanwhile, existing Google authentication services, which are less secure than hardware key, will no longer work. Now, Google announcement comes in the wake of the technology giant displaying alert to approximately 14,000 users that their account have been targeted by Russian-backed hackers. And I think you will be able to find what those alerts look like if you do receive one, but I'll just give you a high level of what that looks like. So the title will be government-packed attackers might be trying to steal your password. So that would be the title of the alert that you receive. There are more details such as there is a chance this is a false alarm, but we believe we detected government-packed attackers, blah, blah, blah. So if you do receive that, obviously, you need to really tighten your control of your account. And definitely, if you're not using two-factor authentication, you need to really absolutely consider that. There is two types of, obviously, two-factor authentication. One can use the first uh, most people are using and definitely this is the journey people take is to use a software-based two-factor authentication things like microsoft authenticator um, google authenticator and a myriad of um, security vendors each have provided their own authentication app they more or less provide the same mechanism um, and that is based on software so you put that on your hardware um, meaning your phone um and you provide the two factor authentication token out of that that's the f- that's basically what most people are using The second one is more attack resistant, meaning it's a hardware that is actually physically with you all the time. And if you cannot access that, obviously you would not be able to access the resources that you protected with. Therefore, in order not to lose the hardware, you typically give yourself a second chance by falling back on the software authentication once the hardware is not available. Or maybe you are inconvenienced by not having it with you right now, and therefore you fall back on the software based. So they are interchangeably used. But the hardware is a key that you buy and then you sync that with your services that you are using, your email, your bank, etc. Certainly that is more secure than the software because it's physical key. Therefore, the secret is no longer installed on a machine or available with someone or online at all. So it's physically disconnected from the world and therefore you have to provide when requested. Now the attackers that Google is trying to protect against it's perhaps most famously the APT28 was the one that was responsible, I don't know if you remember, for hacking into Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and the Democratic National Congress um, um, at the time of the, of the elections. Now, the director um, of the um, Google Threat Analytics um, said, explained to high-risk users that it was inevitable someone would attempt to compromise their account at some point, which is, which is true. Um, and in a tweet, um, the director said, quote, if you are an activist, a journalist, government official, or work in NETSEC, uh, natsec, um, this warning honestly shouldn't be a surprise. At some point, some governor uh, parked entity probably will try to send you something. Google says that it blocked all of the malicious email in the latest attack, but because it believed users have been targeted by a government-packed um, gang, it warned them um, of the attack. Um, so this was something that was real. It's not ju- they're not just doing it um, for the sake of doing it, but there has been um, attacks leveled against those um, the high-risk users using the um, Google services, whether that is the free mail account or whether that is the G Suite account. The message from Google is clear. So hackers backed by um, government have stepped up their attack and not afraid of targeting a large number of potential victims at once. So even though Google has seemingly done a good job here so far, um, intercepting the attackers, users should still be on their guard. Now, for high-risk users... um, Raised awareness, patching and adoption of hardware-based two-factor authentication should be really something that um, no one should delay now because those solutions are available to absolutely significantly um, um, strengthening um, the defenses of their accounts. And the second story, of problems with the two-factor authentication. I think we should understand two-factor authentication is an absolute requirement in today's age um, of threat landscape. Um, but obviously, it comes with responsibility. And if you do not put that responsibility where it belongs, then obviously, the two-factor authentication is not a panacea. It's not something that is going to just work by itself. Um, and I'll, I'll quote um, a note from... Uh, um, Schneider on security, um, who stated uh, the following quote, The first time I heard of this issue was from a Midwest CEO. His organization had been hit by ransomware to the tune of $10 million. Operationally, they were still recovering nearly a year later. And embarrassingly, it was, hit, it was his most trusted VB who let the attackers in. It turns out that the VB had approved over 10 different push based messages. For logging that he was not involved. Now, if I just um, stop here, of course, when you receive a pop-up message on your on your RAM, um, phone, and by reading this, we definitely know that the VB was using sort of a software-based um, two-factor authentication with a pop-up that normally would say is yes or no, or approve, not approve, etc., or tick and or cross. Um, they were using that software, but the most important thing is um, if you are going to just. Uh, approve 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 there is no point of using two-factor authentication so let's just continue when the VP was asked why he approved the logins for logging he was not actually doing his response was they by they he means IT told me that I need to click on approve when the message appeared no 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 that's not really the way two-factor authentication should be used Let's continue. And there you have it. In a nutshell, the VP did not understand the importance, meaning the why of using two-factor authentication, of why it was so important to only approve logins that they were participated in. Now, perhaps they were told this um, but there is a good chance that IT, when implementing new push based multi factor authentication, instructed them as to what they need to do to successfully log in, but failed um, to mention that they need to do when they were not logging in um, if the message arrived. Most likely, IT assumed that anyone would naturally understand that it, it also meant not approving unexpectedly unexplained login. Did the user gain trained as to what to do when the unexpected login arrived? Were they told to click on deny and to contact IT help desk to report the activity? Or was the person told the correct instruction for both approving and denying and just did not take into account? We all have busy life. We all have too much to do. Perhaps the importance of the last part of the instruction just did not sink. I mean, we hear and sometimes we don't register what have been told um, or maybe we absolutely can see and read, but we don't really understand because we are absent minded. Unquote. Now, really, this story is um, not funny at all because two-factor authentication premise is for you to take the responsibility and be situationally aware when a authentication request or approval or deny comes in, well, approval um, comes in, you should be able to know whether that request came from you Um, Or maybe you are in discussion with IT or security or help desk at that particular moment and they told you clearly what to do to approve the authentication because you know it's them and you are on the phone with them. But, you know, failing that, you you should not be just approving nearly willy any authentication request that comes in because clearly this VB did not understand what the authentication Should be and therefore it's a problem um, for for this organization from top down, not bottom up, which really means they're not going to be getting out of trouble anytime soon, unless the responsibility, but most importantly, the understanding of why this technology has been paid and implemented and 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 put in place isn't isn't understood. So the key takeaway is multifactor authentication does not protect itself you need to have a responsibility to preside over what should be approved and what should be ignored but also at the same time not approved but reported to the uh, security team of the, or the IT if you do suspect some um, activities such as requests that came in that you have not uh, been involved modern vulnerability management. Let's do some role play here. Imagine that you are the new ISSO and that is the person responsible for ensuring the implementation and maintenance of security control. And ISSO stands for Information System Security Officer. So imagine you're wearing that hat. Um, Well, first, let's have a look at the the things that you need to do. You need to plan um, to manage vulnerability and prevent um, future attacks. But first, what is vulnerability management? Well, first, let's define these words um, that is used in that statement. A vulnerability is a weakness or lack of countermeasures that can be exploited by a threat. A Vulnerability management is the process of identifying, classifying, and remediating vulnerability or vulnerabilities. Now, what is a threat? A threat is any event that could have an adverse impact on an asset, and the what is an impact an impact is the adverse event that will result once the threat takes hold and an asset I think everyone understands but just for the benefit and I said it's your resources the system it could be a process or a product normally this approach is governed by a risk algorithm and the risk algorithm is the likelihood of of the threat materializing times the impact it would have on the assets. And the product of those two, likelihood times impact, gives you a risk score. And different platform gives you different risk score. And therefore, your teams will be following the risk score um, in order to then resolve those vulnerabilities, not just approaching by volume. The process of vulnerability management goes like this. Um, You go and prepare, you discover, you analyze, you prioritize, you report, and then you remediate or mitigate the uh, vulnerability that has been um, discovered. And essentially, the whole topic sits on top of what is called the CIA triad. And CIA stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. It's the three cornerstones of security, essentially. So a good security plan should incorporate a balance between confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And I think we've, we've already covered the, um, the details of those words now few roles here, um, people who are um, involved. The vulnerability engineer is responsible for the configuration of vulnerability scanners, scheduled vulnerability scan, etc. The asset owner, as the name suggests, is responsible for the asset that is scanned and decides on the action taken for vulnerabilities that are found or analysed, and, and then, of course, there is an IT system engineer behind it, and he or she is responsible to implement actions to remediate post-discovery of vulnerabilities. Those are the different jargons, and the most important thing, probably, to take away from this introduction is there are multiple teams involved in this activity. The asset owner, of course, um, the IT system engineer, the Vulnerability engineer, uh, but also the information system security officer, the ISSO, who we are playing to be you um, as a, as a role play. The reality is that uh, vulnerability management is now at a breaking point, and security teams are tasked with managing risk um, faced a uh, by the organization, and they themselves face a tidal wave of data of unknown vulnerabilities. And I think that is very clear today. Now, IT teams are tasked with fixing the problems. They have been crushed by the demand to patch everything. And I think the essence, I'm going to put some emphasis on the word everything because I, I will define what I mean by that. Um, they, the IT who actually are faced with a tidal wave of vulnerability, together with the security team, have a friction between them. And this is only getting worse as companies expand their IT infrastructure, um, develop more applications more quickly, deploy more devices, introduce IoT nowadays, and prepare for the instrumentation of enterprise um, application of tomorrow. The number of vulnerability, therefore, to which they are exposed become overwhelming. There are essentially four key areas which I want to focus on to give um, this discussion a, a framework and, and provide a structure to follow. I thought this would be an easier way to, to explain what vulnerability management does and the value it will bring to your organization. And The four key areas that we will step through are aggregation, prioritization, distribution and dissemination, and reporting finally. And aggregation is essentially the automating the process of collecting the data from all the places it gets generated you normally would have either a vulnerability scanner which collects the data um, for you you're not going to be hiring individuals consultants uh, once or twice a year that would be costly you would have a automated machinery that will go ahead and do vulnerability scanner on a quarterly maybe maybe monthly is too much quarterly by year yearly or yearly basis, then that will be automated. The data source can be the infrastructure scanners, the application scanners, the back bounty programs, if you have such things in place, the penetration testing that you also carry out according to your compliance the vulnerability management will bring it all into a central data model. Once those data are retrieved by those scanners, um, it will be centralized where the vulnerability management will then normalize it. Um, it will deduplicate, so there shouldn't be any overlap. It will make it accessible because there's a lot of teams that have actually introduced you um, at the beginning um, so that each organization of the business should have access to. It should be made easy to understand and follow which task and question your data at scale so that you get answers instantly. This basically replaces all the manual process people used to do um, randomly and not frequently so um, things like they used to create a spreadsheet sometimes they used to really put together some sort of a database by using uh, open source software and they spend maybe a lot of money on on scripting things um, that they they coded themselves which are not producing the desired result and therefore in fact if you are doing this you would probably be better off with a prioritization solution via an API um, query solution um, because really that problem is solved and I'm talking to people who might not actually be happy to go in the cloud and therefore do not want to export their vulnerabilities to the cloud and share with third-party entities those who are on-prem certainly you can have a one-way communication to some sort of a API-driven platform where you retrieve the threat intel um, and prioritization of, of vulnerability so that you keep your um, data, meaning the scans result um, in-house, but get get the threat intel that you overlay so that you can take actions. So that's the, that's the first one. That's the aggregation. The prioritization. In this part, you should care about the blaming on... The platform that you will be adopting so you will be reducing workload um, to your teams and that should be at your forefront um, of thinking and you should be focusing on um, what should be fixed on a priority basis not by volume now do not go for volume without clear reason as to why you want to fix this vulnerability over that vulnerability for example consider to you know dive deep and when when you are selecting um, solutions um on what is under the hood of the platform you will adopt for example how the scoring works um what are the api response look like including the data that's been collected and and what is actually produced per vulnerability basis you should really get into those um, details in order for you to go to your understanding of how the platform prioritize this and these are really the blaming that works behind the scene um, which drives the um, your decision making of your teams to fix one vulnerability over another so that's the prioritization number three is the distribution and dissemination This is an ability to, if I call it, flip the model around from reliability management. And instead of the platform being a work center that is constantly just creating and pushing work out to the the rest of the business, um, that can be the IT or security team, the platform should be able to turn around and it should be able to prepare the data For all the business units, whether operational team, application teams, IT owners, etc. And the platform should be able to invite any part of the business that needs to have access to it. And the data, that data should be presented for them and invited them um, to the platform, not the other way around. In that way, the platform becomes a self-service pull model instead of a push model. This will free vulnerability management teams to do what needs their critical thinking and human intuition rather than mundane, um, mind-numbing tasks. They should be contributing to the overall result rather than really being bogged down with jobs that are not going to produce a high-efficacy result. They can therefore focus on oversight, Um, they can be setting policies or enforcing SLAs. And that's another thing. The platform should have SLAs of various types. You should be able to create your own SLAs so that you can really level your progress with that of your industry vertical. You would not be driving blind. You need to be in cadence of what is happening rather than really be in a dark corner, not knowing what is happening. You might be overworking, whereas you could do with little, or you might be doing very little, where, whereas you need a lot of work. So SLA drives you in two ways. You can create your own um, once you have baselined your environment and meet an expected result for your industry. And therefore, you can create your own driving um, points. Secondly, platform nowadays should be able to come in with templates that drives um, industry standard, um, which will be a good start rather than you creating your template, because you might not be an expert, you might be embarking on this journey now and not have much understanding yet. So that is the distribution and dissemination. And then finally, reporting. And I think one of the important aspects Of vulnerability management is how teams report success to the business or report the process of vulnerability management to business as a whole. The metrics most of the organization I speak to almost always focus is volume and things like how many vulnerabilities do we have, how many did we manage to fix and how many do we have on the table to fix next. And I think this is the wrong approach. What you really should be focusing on is priority rather than volume. And therefore, in conclusion, your vulnerability management should be a journey. It should not be one hit and then move on. It should be a continuous process, so should, there should be a preparation, as I said, discovery, analysis, prioritization, reporting, remediation or mitigation, although I focus on the aggregation, prioritization, distribution, dissemination and reporting. But overall, you should be, have a broad approach to it at the beginning. Therefore, you should not really be focusing on volume, you should not be measuring by how much gravel you shift, meaning how much volume you, you, you shift on a weekly, monthly or yearly basis, but rather focus on what is likely to cause trouble imminently. You should avoid platforms that service millions of vulnerability and therefore will bewilder your, your teams. Look into risk-based vulnerability management and prioritization. That's the end of the episode and I'm thankful that you've joined me. And until next time, thank you very much and take care.